0: That wasn't supposed to happen. You are listening to Grappalicious. Welcome, friends. It's a professional wrestling podcast. I am your host, The Subtle Doctor, and my tag team partner, erstwhile co-host, DJM, is not in the house this week. DJM is allowing me to fly solo. He has got some personal business to attend to. Fear not, he is A-OK, and we'll be back on episode 5 of Grappolicious. And what this means for this episode is that, again, I'm going to be flying solo, and it's going to be a news-only episode of Grappalicious. We will not be doing our scheduled show review, which is going to be Ring of Honor Final Battle 2005, a banger of a show, in my opinion. So you've got a couple weeks between the release of this and Episode 5's release, To track it down, watch it, get your hands on it, get your eyeballs on it. Excellent show. I can't wait to share my thoughts on it with you. And I can't wait to hear DJM's thoughts on it. There are some wrestlers in there that you probably have seen from elsewhere. You'll be like, wow, 15 years ago, they look different. And in some cases, you'll be, wow, 15 years ago, they look exactly the same. Exactly the same. But enough about what we're going to talk about next week. Let's focus on the here and now. Before we get into the news, though, just want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at Grapplicious G-R-A-P-P-L-E-I-C-I-O-U-S. Grapplicious. keep attuned to when we drop new episodes and when we put up call-outs for questions. You can ask us a question anytime and get it answered on the podcast, just like at TuneSweetPod. Who asked us this week? Is the Cody gif the worst thing to happen to wrestling Twitter? <laughs> no, Doctor, Doctor, Doctor. <laughs> I know uh, Tune Sweet Pod, by the way, is is a, a wrestling music podcast run by a friend of the show at SSA Pod, uh, the Doctor, and uh, it's a good podcast. You should check it out. Is the Cody gif the worst thing? I mean. The Cody GIF is undeniably bad. Unquestionably, like, I mean, the first time you see it, usually, you know, a lot of these bad gifts, the first time you see it, you'll be like, ha ha, this is very clever. Uh, and then you wear out on it, you know, the 10th time you're wanting to claw your eyeballs. But no, the Cody GIF, the first time you see it, it's just like, Jesus. Jesus. Why is this here on my computer screen? It's very bad, as bad as it is. Though I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, it on one level, haha. Yes, it's the worst thing to happen to Twitter. Period. Uh, on another, because I hate it. On another level, uh, wrestling Twitter. There are some there are some issues with wrestling Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty new to wrestling Twitter, honestly. Uh, coming from anime twitter which has its fair share of problems and uh, asshats um it's interesting to look at the problems and asshats that exist in wrestling twitter and how they are the same and how they are different from those in the japanese cartoon twitter sphere this is a subject i, w- I might want to if we if grappolicious tackles this topic i want to do it at full strength so like to bounce things off DJM re-wrestling Twitter. Uh, but at Pod again, follow them. Thank you for sending us the question. Uh, now, let's get to the headlines. Now the headlines. A lot of news this episode, as usual. Since this is a bi-weekly pod, it tends to snowball and, and pile up on us. We're gonna be talking a lot of New Japan and a lot of AEW. It seems like every episode thus far we've talked about AEW honestly. They're chasing headlines, so you know it's only natural. They feel a little bit like uh the sun which kind of the wrestling world is revolving around at the minute. AEW is knocking over a lot of dominoes. A lot of dominoes. But I want to begin with what I think is the most important piece of news. Not the most recent, it's the oldest piece of news I'm going to talk about, but new era, the cutthroat era, on February 11th, which is not quite two weeks from when I'm recording this episode, but certainly by the time you folks hear it, it will be it will be closer to three weeks. Since 211, since the beginning of Jay White's IWGP championship reign, at New Beginning, Jay White captured the title from Hiroshi Tanahashi. New Japan has its new Gaijin ace, I think it's fair to say. I wanted to talk a little bit about the match itself and also probe a bit deeper in terms of the booking around it and the recent comings and goings in new japan and how they may or may not have affected this i thought the match itself was very good i've seen it twice and it is on the slower side i think but in a in a good way in that kind of modern uh, Japanese wrestling main event sort of way, you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be out of place in an all Japan ring. I think the pace, the pace of this match. Um, by the end, of course, the crowd very into it. I think I was was drawn into it. I thought the story more than anything was the biggest selling point, more so than any. Kind of individual sequence in the match, though I have to say, in concept, the Jay White catching Tanahashi mid high fly flow and turning that into a Blade Runner was tremendous. The, although the execution fell a little short, but again, more than in, any of of that, I think the the story of Tanahashi's rise. And his kind of coronation that took so long and he fought so hard for, he wanted to be the last champion of the Heisei era, which the Heisei era, the Japanese have a way of marking time by who their emperor is. And they were in the Heisei era before, I believe they were in the Showa era. But the current emperor, Heisei, is going to step down in a couple of months. And Tanahashi. Thought it would be very symbolic. If he was the final champion. Of this current era. Of, of Japan. And Japanese history. This Heisei era. It meant a lot to him. In the story. He said as much. On his podcast. And in interviews. And he achieved that success. He beat Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. The biggest wrestling show of of the Japanese wrestling calendar. Some would say of wrestling period. He had done it, and you thought, I can't believe it. This man who was washed up eight, ten months ago has, has done it all again, and he is on top of the world. And then that bastard Jay White comes in and spoils everybody's fun, right? <laughs> it was... In a way, we saw this in microcosm at the aforementioned Wrestle Kingdom when the return of the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, who cast off his sort of odd and melancholic balloon maker, red-haired persona to redon the gold and purple robes and bleached blonde hair and short shorts of the rainmaker and the crowd at the wrestle kingdom loved this they adore okada those fans and they adore rainmaker okada their rainmaker their champion and he was back here he was they were going to get that back and his triumphant return was spoiled by jay white he ruined everyone's fun and he's done it again here at New Beginning. Taking away, it seems. I mean, anything's possible, right? I mean, he, Jay White could defend the belts against Tanahashi in Madison Square Garden and lose it in a rematch, but it seems that it's out of reach now for Tanahashi. And Jay White, this, this villainous character, I love that... He's been built so quickly and definitively. He's He's been true to his word of who he said he was going to beat. He's beaten the top guys. He's beaten Okada twice in the last calendar year. And he's beaten Tanahashi twice now. He has taken New Japan by storm. And they they love this kid, White. And they have put a rocket to his back. I I thought... That the story they were telling was tremendous here, and I'm going to be very curious to see how this new era is received by fans. Who at at the time, the Japanese fans at New Beginning were a little deflated because their again their fun had been taken away. Their their hero had lost. Uh, he did get some respectful clapping though. <laughs> the IWGP belt I think is just so meaningful to. To the fans they understand how important it is to have that belt so as much as he was fishing for booze and his victory speech uh before the fans they were clapping because it is an achievement to be recognized <laughs> and so hopefully he can i don't think he'll have too much trouble retaining the the heat uh he's he, he's so he's such a good heel he's very very good at At drawing hate out of the crowd. So I don't think you'll have too much trouble. Question, though, about this that I had. Kenny Omega, the champion two champions ago, revealed in an interview that it was, I believe, with Dave Meltzer, Figure Four Online, how his title run would have played out if he had stayed in New Japan Pro Wrestling. According to him, the plan was for him to retain to Tanahashi and lose to Okada at Madison Square Garden. Wow, and this, that really, it's hard for me to, I mean, I don't want to sit here and call Kenny Omega a liar because that's just silly to do. But it just, the story that they actually did tell with Tanahashi winning was too perfect. I mean, The entire year last year was about Hiroshi Tanahashi rising like a phoenix from the ashes of his own demise to, for probably the final time, claim the top prize. And it was so tremendous. Everything from his fall at the hands of Suzuki and Okada to his G1 win and his... Uh, overcoming Okada later in the year by getting a draw to squeak by him in the G1 and then beating him outright. And for the first time, I believe, in a uh, contest that lasted over 30 minutes. Uh, prior to that, all their other contests that were over 30 minutes had either been draws or losses for Tanahashi. And and we've talked about the rest, him him squeaking by Jay White at King of Pro Wrestling and, and winning the title is all so tremendous. And to think that wasn't actually the plan, that this is some backup plan, right? And so my question about this is, is Jay White, is he just like the Kenny Omega fill-in for the booking? Are they going to do exactly the same thing, right? And since Kenny's leaving, they have to pull the belt from him, pop it on Tanahashi real quick and hot potato it to Jay White, slash not Kenny but Kenny the fill-in Kenny who will drop it to Okada then uh, in Madison Square Garden is that Jay's role here to just be the Kenny fill-in or is he legitimately like stepping into the larger role Omega had in the company and he's more than just a find to replace he's you know the new Gaijin Ace and they're kind of reorienting the booking around that honestly i hope that's the case it doesn't really have anything to do with omega per se but i feel like they just can't do okada versus jay white again for the third time in less than 12 months i feel that there's a lot more story to be told and a lot more to be gained to have that be a money match later on down the road. When Jay White has defended his title successfully a couple of times, and Okada has some positive momentum from some high-profile wins, I think if he just wins the New Japan Cup and, and beats White, I don't necessarily think it makes Jay White's character look bad or weak. I don't think he loses a lot but it will feel like they've left some money on the table it will feel like they've left some potential storyline and character growth could be interesting on the table because okada white is now a thing i think i mean you've got this this bastard heel who has the beloved raymakers number you gotta make some real big money with that. I mean, and Madison Square Garden's already sold out. You don't have to give that match away there. I guess let me put it in less less not not those terms. You could build out that program, let it boil, let it breathe, give it time, and it could be even better. I think if we don't get the match again, I also think Jay White needs needs to continue to build up some in ring confidence, and we need to to see some more. Uh, quality matches from him i think his match with okada and his match with tanahashi are are his best matches he's had for the company but he's got to that has to be kind of like the floor now rather than his ceiling i think he's got to maybe add some things to his offense i don't know but he's he's got to continue to inspire confidence and we got to see how he can draw it'll be interesting to see Sticking with New Japan, Kota Ibushi has signed a two-year deal. This is via the Super J-Cast that I'm getting this news from, and he revealed that on the same New Beginning show, and boy, uh, were the crowd ecstatic about this. <laughs> they love Kota Ibushi, and as they should, Ibushi is perhaps the best wrestler in the in the company. Me certainly vying for the the position. I think, depending on your criteria, he is ex- extremely versatile, capable of drawing money, capable of selling merch. I mean, he's the, he's the fifth pillar, right? I mean, if you still want to include Tanahashi among like the big four, you got to put Ibushi up there now, and and it, this is very significant, not just because. You know, you may think, oh, it's just a two-year extension. But, like, no, this is, if you don't know, like, Kota Ibushi has been a freelancer this entire time. Uh, He's notoriously, I don't know if, some people have said flighty, but he doesn't want to commit, right, to contracts. And so the fact that they have gotten him to commit for two years is amazing. I mean, that's the reason he hasn't held a title of significance. I mean, he held the Never Openweight title for a hot minute just to pass it to Osprey but he's not had the Intercontinental title uh he's not really gotten a, a significant world title main event push I mean think about last year what were his in the biggest shows of the year he had he did he was not on Dominion he was just left off the card you know he he was a Kenny Omega's corner corner man at Wrestle Kingdom, I believe you wrestled Cody Rhodes. And I liked that match. I thought that match was good, but there's a there's a ceiling on that match. <laughs> and it was also only about 10 minutes. I think they could have let that. This is the problem with every Wrestle Kingdom. That the card is stacked and no one gets enough time. But now they have a commitment from Ibushi. And you know Gato is going to just absolutely book him to the stars. I mean, he's someone who could win the New Japan Cup. And he's someone, an interesting rival for Jay White. Uh, if you want to put off the Tanahashi rematch, if you want to put off the Okada rematch, Jay White, Kota Ibushi is an extremely fresh matchup and an extremely interesting clash of styles. We'll see if it ends up being the main event at the Garden. But for two more years, you've got Kota Ibushi in New Japan. And I think... People were afraid he was going to go to All Elite. And if he did, I mean, that would be two two main event stars that would be leaving. And it would really, it would start to seem like just a huge, huge loss. company could rebound from it. They're a fantastic company who's great at making stars. They could rebound from it. But I feel like now in some ways they almost don't have to because they lose Omega But in the wake of his loss, they've made another star in Jay White, and Kota Ibushi is staying. Other than that, they've lost a fantastic tag team. The tag division will need shoring up. And they've lost a couple of low mid-card guys that they have plenty of room to replace. Not bashing the elite at all, I don't think, here. I'm just saying the roles that they have to fill now, I think, are, are much more doable than losing two main event guys. We got a little bit more New Japan news, but I want to turn focus to AEW now. Because I think the some of the all-elite headlines are a little more significant. A week ago, a supposed all-elite wrestling schedule has leaked. I don't think they've come out and refuted this. And they've had time. Here's the possible, the possible AEW schedule for the next several months. We got May 25 double or nothing. At the NGM Grand in Las Vegas. That that much we have had nailed down for a while. June. Unspecific show. Believed to be in the United States. July. Unnamed show in Jacksonville. The one that Cody announced at the first rally. In which the uh, a portion of the proceeds. Will go to. Uh. Gun violence, victim relief. The following month, August 2019, Royal Albert Hall in London, England. Then September, All Out, the official sequel to All In. And according to this WrestleTalk story I'm looking at, this would be the full launch of the brand, the grand opening, prior to TV tapings beginning. Tapings is an interesting word. As I'll talk about in a moment. We understand that while not yet confirmed. This is again likely to take place. In the Sears Center in Chicago. The venue. Which All In was held last year. And then October. Weekly TV starts. So. They got a thing per month. Between May and October. They got nothing between February and May. Maybe they'll have another rally. Or two. Keep the buzz going. And, you know, some people have been saying, why aren't they going to run some stuff before Double or Nothing? And I think I don't want them to. I think I just want the hype to keep bubbling and building. And I think I want more and more people to find out about this before it happens so that the just the maximum number of eyeballs could be on Double or Nothing rather than like some build-up show or, or something like that. I don't think you have to worry too much about, like, them working out the kinks as, you know, they they ran all in and for the most part it went just fine. They've learned some things from that and there's one or two, thing, two things they will do differently, particularly with time management. But I'm cool with actually having nothing going on in, until May and them accruing as much talent, backstage talent, as well as wrestling talent, and getting organized and and planning and future planning rather than starting possibly prematurely. The England show is extremely interesting. I think that's a very good idea because so many of their guys are, are very popular and gals very hot over there and that could uh, alleviate you know possible burnout from the fly-in crowd you know it is still a fly-in promotion by and large uh, since they don't have the television yet and if you're gonna ask them to go to double or nothing and you're gonna ask them to go to all out which by the way DDT is very angry that you stole the name of their fantastic babyface stable for your event all out trademark infringement we'll see you in court bucks <laughs> say hello to prosecutor Hirata but yeah and then these two summer shows you d- I guess you don't want to like ask them your your flying fans to continue to do this you want to give them a break and expose the talent uh, elsewhere. And then, you know, weekly TV starts in October. Certainly uh, in the interviews and podcasts, we've heard the Bucks, we've heard Jericho, we've heard Cody Rhodes talk about TV being very much within their grasp, very much, I don't want to say a formality, but extremely close to being wrapped up. And the rumor, of course, is The big rumor is that it'll be TNT, and they would broadcast on the network that helped push the wrestling wars of decades gone by, and that'll be very fun. I hope that the unspecified show believed to be in the USA is near Nashville, Tennessee, because I'd like to go to an AEW show, honestly. Okay, I want to talk about this Young Bucks interview that was in the sporting news with Brian Fritz. There's a wrestling podcast. Gosh, I don't even think they call it a podcast. It was just a wrestling radio show that they did in Florida called Between the Ropes. I don't even know if it still exists. I don't think it does, but Brian Fritz was the host of that. That was a really fun show. So, Brian Fritz is the name I've associated with wrestling and wrestling media for a while. Uh, This interview ran in the Sporting News three days ago from the time of recording. More recent news. Really interesting interview. The main points that I took from it were the Bucks and Tony Khan sold All Elite Wrestling as live sports to the TV stations in the same way that WWE managed to acquire its extremely lucrative TV ride steals by saying, hey, Live programming, live sports programming. is very hot. Cord cutting only grows. People aren't watching TV. Certainly people aren't watching things that they could binge or stream online, but things that they can't do are these live shows, particularly live sports. It's one of the few kind of bastions that cable television can galvanize itself around. And so WWE and now All Elite position their television as this it's this sort of live sporting thing. It's so interesting because, you know, the leaked schedule talks about TV tapings beginning, but from this more recent interview, I get the sense that, that the Jacksons don't, aren't really interested in, in tapings. They're interested in, in live events. The liveness has a lot of value to them, a lot of uh, uh, currency. With them, And they believe that to be the case with their fans. They said that the ideal length of a wrestling show in 2019 was an hour, perhaps two, certainly not three. They are committed to long-term, slow-burn storylines. You know, they think wrestling in 2019 can be that. And here's where they kind of pivot from the live sports stuff to the Netflix type stuff and they can i think they can they can do that because wrestling is so multifaceted and so dynamic you can position it as live sport but you can also position it as this is like a Netflix show like people will binge episodes people will watch uh to keep up with the stories and they like consistency they don't like plot holes They like to follow threads throughout a season. The Bucks know this. The Bucks have said this in this interview. And that is the kind of storytelling they want to do in all elite wrestling. Now, the final kind of interesting nugget, I think, is that Kenny Omega was on board from day one, quote-unquote. They said that, that they knew he was in. They said... This is what Khan needed. He needed the best tag team in the world and the best wrestler in the world. If All Elite was going to be, was going to be a real thing, was going to get off the ground, they needed Kenny Omega. And I think anybody who follows the scene figured that was the case. I mean, you just had to figure that to get traction, a star like Omega was needed. Now, maybe you would think to yourself, if you're watching AEW... As it unfurls over the, the weeks. Maybe you see Jericho. And you might think okay. They got their big star. But while he's got a big name. I don't necessarily think he's going to be. I don't think necessarily he's as versatile. A big time performer as Kenny Omega is. Kenny Omega could have a match of the year with almost anybody. Kenny Omega is the bigger get. And the bigger splash. And AEW and is in an entirely different strata uh because he's associated with it now if the bucks knew he was coming on board from the beginning that raises a couple of interesting questions for me the beginning was post all in it was in september you know all in took place on september one Khan and the bucks are having these discussions at that time shortly thereafter if kenny was on board since then knew he was on board since September. Then I think, huh, I think that that might lower my esteem for the man in in some ways. Perhaps he truly didn't know, even if he sort of half committed, perhaps he, he committed in, in word, but not in heart, to Aew. Perhaps he truly, in his heart of hearts didn't know whether he was going to leave New Japan pro Wrestling. I mean, in an interview in which he talks about why he chose. All Elite Wrestling. He, he even says that he thought about turning his brain off and joining WWE. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> because. I mean, a- unless he's thinking those thoughts earlier in the year, which I suppose is, is you know, possible. Uh, but let's say mid-September, Kenny is totally in. And the Bucks are not wrong about this and that he is on board. Then then I have big, big problems with the King of Pro Wrestling main event. I've always had, since it happened, (laughs) problems with the King of Pro Wrestling main event. If you'll remember, it was a triple threat for the IWGP heavyweight title involving Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and Cody Rhodes. I think triple threat matches for your top belt are pretty dubious proposition they work in some contexts, especially for like undercard titles and matches that are spot fests but for your world title match i think you need more than a spot fest maybe that's just me and when you you, you have these exit ramps that don't involve the champion beating the challenger or the challenger Definitively beating the champion, so it's not generally a thing that I like too much in that spot. But so all the the scuttlebutt at the time was that that was supposed to be Omega Ibushi. You know, Ibushi beat Omega at the G One. You know, he needed his match with the champ, his one on one match. He's you know that's tradition. If you beat champions in g1 cody just kind of waltzes in and the the to the match and the story around him getting into it was absolutely terrible the scuttlebutt at the time was that kenny used his stroke to get cody into this match not just because cody's his buddy uh but because he did not want to give away this ibushi omega singles match he thought could take place at a bigger arena well if he knew he was leaving at the end of January then what is he doing <laughs> he knows that the New Japan is not going to have an opportunity to do Omega Ibushi and he he pinned Ibushi in that match okay he knows he's he's leaving and instead of taking the loss or, or letting you know he he can't take the loss there instead of Cody taking the loss there he has fucking Kota Ibushi take the loss. It's absurd. Everything about that was fucking absurd. I mean, there just were problems with Dakota, Kenny, Golden Lovers, Bullet Club, like all that story started out so promisingly and then just really, really underdelivered. It really underdelivered and and again, I mean if Kenny pushed that through knowing he was gonna leave. That is, that just fucking really bothers me. It really bothers me. Oh, so I mentioned Kenny talking about possibly joining the WWE in the article and the interview in which he explains his reasons for leaving New Japan and choosing All Elite. This was more to do with the Meltzer interview that I referenced earlier, but you can look up a Wrestling Inc. article that talks about it. And has a lot of quotes from it. This is a long thing, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, It's an interview worth hearing in its entirety. But something I took away from this was the, the overall tone. It really felt like Omega was unhappy with New Japan. It felt unnecessarily, I guess, bitter. And now here's the why I say unnecessary, because there could be a lot of n- reasons why you could be mad at your employer, right? You know, he talks about New Japan's offer being the worst out of the three offers he got. I assume he means financially. He doesn't specify, but he says the worst of the offers. I get that if he was all about the money, but I mean, he did join AEW. It can't be all about the money. If it's all about the money, he would go to the Fed. But AEW had a pull for him because of how creatively fulfilling it could be to be in control of a promotion and of his character and all of that sort of thing. One of the parts of the interview, Kenny says, again, he's discussing why he took the AEW offer, for my main company, New Japan. To, I don't want to say, not see the value in me, or that I didn't feel valued. It wasn't that. They certainly did value me. I guess a better way to put it is that the other two companies were more excited to have me. So, boy, I don't know. This, like, this feels like some sour grapes to me, man. I mean, maybe the people doing the pitches to him were jumping around and dancing. And... In the room were more excited, but I mean, would WWE really provided him as exciting character direction as as New Japan? I mean, AEW certainly is, so I can see that. You know, and he says he doesn't want to say that he that he felt undervalued, but that's that's kind of what he's saying. Like, he doesn't want to cross that line, but he didn't feel special enough. He didn't feel wanted hard enough by New Japan. And I mean, I don't know how you could be more excited about a guy. I don't know how you could want a guy more than to make him your, your IWGP heavyweight champion to give him the most important title in professional wrestling. Not only to give it to him, but to give it to him and let him end the most incredible title run of all time. Okada's historic two-plus-year reign with the title. Omega ended it. The 12th defense streak, the longest streak of defenses in the company's history. Omega's the one to beat it. And his faction and his kind of storylines were like a major part of the company that year. I mean, for all I know, what we got was heavily edited and they hated everything and turned it into something else, the ghettoized version of it. But boy, I mean, it seemed like they gave a lot of time to the golden lovers and the elite. And Kenny got to be the champ. Kenny got to beat Okada. I don't know. I think he, he was unhappy. He's just unhappy with something in the company. And it's just the question, like, (laughs) is that, are the reasons he's giving fair? I'm not sure that they are, but I'm not in his shoes. I know he doesn't want to burn any bridges, so he doesn't want to completely throw them under the bus. Because his all elite contract allows him to work New Japan Pro Wrestling matches if he wants to in the future. Many people think he will this year. I'm not so sure. Final piece of news involving Mr. Omega. Boy, this week it sounds like I sure am down on him. <laughs> and the news is not good, it's not good in my opinion. In an interview, so the DDT English update account at DDT Pro underscore Ing, fantastic account has Kenny in an interview saying that he's scouting the Joshi talent. Super interesting, super interesting. Again, a thing I think that probably you th- you would I would assume that had to be in place for longer than like the last week or two. But that's really interesting because we all kind of assumed that Brandy would be the big connection from her time in stardom. And that's why I was surprised when Yuka Sakazaki was the Joshi wrestler that they announced they were going to bring over. And that's because of Kenny's familiarity with DDT and he's the one doing Joshi talent scouting. He says, I also want to work with DDT again. I want to showcase the DDT style, and Yuka Sakazaki is truly one of a kind. There is no one else like her. Senshiro Takagi, DDT boss, says, Kenny is family. If he needs our help, he's getting it. Oh. oh! Man. Now that. Talk about companies excited to have him. And exciting things he can do. Things he can do to get me excited. Hook back up with DDT, Kenny. That's where you truly belong. It's where your heart is. It's where my heart is. Let our hearts unite in DDT. You can just imagine Kenny versus Mao, versus Takagi. Kenny, with <laughs> uh, oh, maybe all these things happened before I started watching. But Kenny versus Kazuki Hirata with sunglasses. Oh, all the encounters would make me so glad. DDT is one of the things that makes me happiest in life. Okay, swiveling back to. Some New Japan Pro Wrestling news for our last couple of items. Well, New Japan and New Japan adjacent. Shota Umino and Ren Narita look ready to go on excursion. It seems like they're headed that way soon. Nothing confirmed as of this recording. Haven't seen anything officially announcing it. But at Honor Rising, we got Ren Narita versus Marty Scurll and Shota Umino versus Zack Sabre Jr. Those according to people in the know, seem like send-off matches. They seem like the kind of matches you give these kids before they go out on excursion. Because otherwise, they're mostly just wrestling each other or all-timers or Toa Hanare. So this is exciting. This is my first Young Lion class to see go out into the world. I get to see my my proud sons venture forth across the globe. And out-wrestle everyone. And let me tell you, they will do that. Because these two are fucking great. These two kids are fantastic. Okay, they speak volumes for the New Japan Dojo. Their matches are not only like better worked... Technically, worked with more technical proficiency, but more entertaining to me than the majority of wrestling in Japan and the rest of the world. Forget the rest of, them. like, their matches are fantastic. They're ready to go on excursion. I, I think, you know, some people speculate whether Shota Umino will get the. Hiroshi Tanahashi treatment and skip excursion? Maybe. Maybe. But, I mean, I guess if you see it in him, you keep him around. And he looks amazing. I'd love to see him on excursion, though. Narita will definitely go on excursion. There's no talk of, of him skipping the line. I, I'd i love to see him in CMLL. Get some... to Well, to, for one, to, to make up for... Uh, Kawato and how disappointing he's been there. Perhaps Umino and and Narita can fill his shoes more admirably and do do what he couldn't do. Bring Kawato son back home and let him rehabilitate himself in Japan. Ah, uh, that they, they could certainly get some spice there. You know, Ring of Honor wouldn't be amiss to house one of these guys for a while. But I'm ready for this to happen. I'm ready for this to happen and excited. Now, I know that a lot of times, you know, not just Kawato, but people like Evil have gone on an excursion and been bad. and <laughs> been very bad. And then when they get back to Japan, they're fine. So who knows? I mean, the same thing could happen with Narita and Umino. But it's just so hard for me to imagine as I see their Young Lion matches. They're just so good. And Marty, let me tell you. Marty loves putting over some Young Lions. Okay. Uh, He made Narita look fantastic. Uh, I've seen that match. That was an excellent match. I have seen Marty also put over one of Shibata's California Dojo Young Lions live in Nashville. You know, Clark Connors... Really got over with the crowd. And many people said he outwrestled Marty. And Marty helped him look very good in that match. So exciting times if you're following the Young Lions scene in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You get to see your good boyos graduate. Final piece of news I have for this episode. Jushin Thunder Liger is going to replace Will Ospreay at over the top Scrapper Mania 5. In mid-March. Now. This is very disappointing to me. Not because I dislike Liger. I like Liger very much. I saw many. Of his. WCW matches with Brian Pillman. They were amazing. Love Liger. Still good. Looking forward to his. His uh, program with uh, Ishimori. It'll be a fun match. Uh, But. the, The. He's parachuting in here. We're not getting Will Ospreay versus Scotty Brooks. And I'm angry, deeply angry about this. Scotty Brooks could be, pound for pound, the most talented slash athletic Irish wrestler. And I've not forgotten about Jordan Devlin, who I, I love deeply. Brooks is like 18, maybe 19 years old. Very, very young. So polished. I mean, people will say he's undersized. Could be. Still got some growing to do into his body for sure, but... He's incredible to me in the ring. He is an absolute lightning strike of a wrestler. And at homecoming, he tagged with Will Ospreay against the besties in the world. It was a very good match you just know that Osprey was going to make that kid look incredible because he is amazing at putting people over. He loves it, okay? He goes to Australia to do it on a regular basis. Like, he's the defibrillator for the Australian wrestling scene. You know, he made Robbie Eagles, helped Robbie Eagles get work in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He He enjoys doing this, and so I think he was looking forward to doing the same thing for Brooks. And I wanted to see it. And and we'll still, so I'm sure we'll see it down the road, but boy, I wanted it now. (laughs) I wanted it right now. Well, you know, I suppose Jushin Thunder Liger is not the worst consolation prize in the world for Scotty Brooks. I'm sure that his wrestling fan heart is full of joy getting to wrestle uh, a legend Folks, that is all the news that I have to discuss on this episode of Grappalicious. Thanks so much for sticking with me as I've done the solo show. This is the first time I've ever done a show like this. I, In the, the years that I've done podcasting, I've always been bouncing off at least one other person. Conversational. But thank you if you've made it this far. You have my sincere love and appreciation. Please remember to follow at Grappalicious on Twitter, to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever podcatcher that you happen to use. Thanks so much once again for tuning in. Until next time, peace.